He said, Paul did, for I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departure as at hand. I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. Henceforth there is laid it for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Father, we thank you today for the privilege of being in this place. And we're thankful, Lord, like Jessica saying, that there's another side, the far side. Lord, we're glad uh, to know that, uh, Lord, as we've sung many years, and, and though crossing Jordan doesn't picture a death, I know that, Lord, are going into heaven. Lord, just off the other side of death, there is a place that you've gone to prepare. And we're going somewhere, all of us in here, man, woman, boy, or girl, Lord, lost or uh, 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 saved, Father, sinner, saint, we're going somewhere in eternity. And I pray, God, I pray today that everyone would know where they're going, that everyone, Father, would leave the right kind of punctuation on their life when they breathe their last tear, when they step off the stage of action in this world and go to the worlds that we don't know yet but we know about. Father, I pray that you convict, that you would convince, that you would convert, that you would do what only you could do through the preaching of the Word of God, through the preaching of the Gospel to save men, Lord, and get us right with you. And we'll praise you for it. We'll praise you for it. We ask in that name that's above every name, the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, and all God's people said, Amen. You know, I, I, uh, I don't know much about English, and that's quite obvious if you've ever heard me speak a lot, and you all have for the last 14 years. Pretty amazing. But I do know some simple things. I do know a little bit about punctuation. Punctuations, uh, a punctuation are the things that either break up a sentence like a, like a comma, colon, a semicolon, or something that goes to, to, to the end of a sentence like a uh, exclamation point or a question mark. And that's what I'm going to preach about today. I'm going to preach about, I'm going to preach about an exclamation point or a question mark. And everyone in here today, listen, friend, we're going to leave one or the other on our life when we've breathed our last, when we've done our final service, when we change worlds, listen, we're either going to put an exclamation on the end of our life or we're going to leave the world going into the next with all kinds of people looking at that question mark and wondering, wondering just where you went, wondering just, just what happened to you. Now look, I, I want you to know something. If we live long enough, we're going to die unless we go in the rapture. And everybody in here has got a family. Everybody in here has got somebody concerned about you, that loves you, that, um, that, uh, that, that even likes seeing you most of the time. And you know what they want when it comes time for you to die? They want to know without a doubt that you've gone to heaven. Well, this one I'm going to tell you, everybody and anybody can, but not everybody will. I mean, I, I, I get this all the time when somebody calls and said, Preacher, can you do a dad service? Can you do a mom service? Can you do this or that? Can, 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 can you? I'll be willing to. And then, you know what? Almost inevitably, especially when there's dad, can you give any hope for them? Can, can you help me out, Preacher? I don't know whether they were saved or not. 
They met profession one day and, and uh, they were even baptized and they went to church and they did this and they did that. But you know what they're going to say about preaching when they died? I just simply don't know. Hey, listen, friend, an exclamation point is a, is a declarative. I mean, I tell you, it ties things down when you put an exclamation on the end of a sentence. You're doing it for emphasis. You're doing it in a declarative way. You're saying, I don't want there to be any doubt about this. I'm doing it with force and for a reason. Hey, that's the way I want to die. I want to die, listen, friend, without anybody doubting where I've gone when I leave this world for worlds unknown. So you pray for me just a little while. We're going to look at two men that I believe the Word of God bring this out on in a special way, and they're not the only two men that we look, look, look at. When we come to this passage of Scripture, let me, let me explain it just a little bit, if I may. At least from the standpoint of the Apostle Paul, it was written from a dungeon. We'd never know that, but Paul was in jail at this time under Nero. It's a, it, it's a personal letter that, that he wrote to a young pastor of Ephesus by the name of, of Timothy, who happened to be his son of the gospel. Now, he wasn't his son in the flesh, but it's most likely, probably most theologians believe, that Paul could have very well led Timothy to the Lord. And when Paul gets to the end of this letter, when, when Paul gets to the end of this letter, he does two things. He adds his personal signature to it, which is a statement of the grace of God. Here it says, uh, the grace, uh, grace be with you, amen. That's Paul's sign-off. That's Paul's signature in every epistle. That's one of the reasons I believe he wrote the letter to the Hebrews. He signs off with something like the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. He He signs off with a statement on grace. So Paul puts his his pen down when when he gives his last signature, friend, the pen of the great apostle Paul becomes silent. He leaves behind in his wake 14 great epistles at my county. Most people think 13, but I can't help it if they're wrong. Y'all supposed to laugh. But Paul himself, his pen got silent, but Paul himself began a new life. He began a life in a place that Jesus had gone to prepare. Now it's been said that the dying words of man are maybe the most important that he'll ever speak. And no doubt I could say that's true of Paul here. In this passage, the apostle gives a personal testimony that, um, that is a confident testimony. It's a testimony of assurance. And when he gives his last testimony, he does it, I believe, with an exclamation. Well, how many of y'all like reading where Paul said, I finished my course, I've kept the faith, I fought a good fight? How, how many of y'all like that? I mean, it's encouragement. We'll sit back and we'll read it and we'll say, Wow, Lord, that's the way I'd like to live. That's the way I'd like to, live, to end. We can if we choose to. It's up to me and you. There's nothing uh, but desire and doing, uh, bless God, between succeeding and failing. Paul wrote it. He was just a man. But boy, he, he fell in love with the Lord, Greg. That's what got him. You see, when he gives his last testimony he does an exclamation point he declares in no uncertain term that he's ready to die and, and he leaves no doubt friend about what his eternal destination is when he goes so this message just brief little message I'm going to look at two men briefly they're both found in this chapter 
One's the Apostle Paul, the other's a man by the name of Demas. There's a man, uh, this man by, uh, by the name of Paul. Friend, you already, you already figured out, like I've told you, that he ends with an exclamation point on his life. But another man, the other man by the name of Demas, he's mentioned three times in the Bible. We're going to discover, and, and it's rather unique in how he's mentioned. But let me tell you something, friend, when it comes to his name, there's a lot of question about it. People wonder, people have different opinions upon him. You see, we'll see the one man dies leaving a testimony of assurance. Another dies at the end of his life with that question mark behind his. And we, we need to decide, friend, what we're going to leave. Listen, listen, everybody. I'm talking about eternity. Now, see, I don't have to preach this. I'm saved. I know I'm saved. By the grace of God, I'm saved. I'm happy about that. But I'm going to tell you, I'm concerned about you and whether you are or not. I don't doubt you. I don't doubt your salvation. But everybody in here, I imagine, is saved. But what if you're not? What, what if you're not? I'm preaching to you. I'm concerned about you. I want you to have the assurance that I've got. You say, well, you're a preacher. You read the Word of God. You visit. That's not why I've got assurance. I've got assurance because I put my faith in Christ Jesus. I don't put my assurance in what I do or don't do. And especially I don't put my assurance in what I feel or don't feel. I lived that way for a long time and I stayed. I, I was a blooming mess for too many years. But I learned a little saying. Be my feelings what they will. Jesus is my Savior still. I quit living on feelings and started living by faith. I'm putting my confidence in what this book says. And this book says, if thou shalt call upon the name of the Lord, thou shalt be saved. I'm saved today and I know it. Glory to God Almighty. I'm glad to know it. But how about you? Look, you, you may have had, quote, an experience with the Lord. Let me say it again. You may have been baptized. You may have joined the church. You may have went to Sunday school all your life. You may have done this or that. But let's face it, people that know you outside of the church, people that didn't meet you uh, in the baptistry, people that know you in your personal life, they have to scratch their head when you die and wonder because of the life you live. The verbiage that you use, the habits of your life, whether or not you're saved. Now listen, I want to tell you, everybody listen right now, say Amen. I know we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. But also know, bless God, if something's in you, it'll shine out of you. I, I want you to know, friend, if you have a root in Christianity, you will bear fruit of Christianity. Now the message demands that we look at our own personal testimony. The testimony that we'll leave behind for our family. We'll die, friend, with an exclamation point or a question point at the end of our life. Will we leave them with assurance or will we leave them with a question about our eternal destination? Let me ask you something. Anybody in your life ever die? And I know the answer to that. Anybody ever die without a doubt and you know they're going to heaven? I mean, I mean, I mean you knew their life, you know. 
testimony? Do you remember what kind of peace that gave you? Remember what kind of hope you went away with? I mean, you might even be lost. You, you might even been lost when they died. But, but it done something for you. It gave you a peace. It gave you a calm. It gave you a hope. It gave you a strength. It just did something wonderful for you. Hey, if you want that, you experience that. Don't you think you own that to your family that loves you? said, boy, preacher, getting personal this morning. Boy, I sure am. This is what he said in verses 6, 7, and 8 again. He said, for I'm now ready. The time of my departure is, I'm ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I've kept, I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid for me a crown of righteousness. The Lord, the righteous judge, to give me at that day, not to me only, but to all them that love him. You know what Paul was doing here? Paul, friend, knowing, knowing that, um, that eternity was looming, it, the, the shadows of eternity were falling upon him. And you know what he did? He stopped and he took a self-examination. He stopped and began to look three ways. First way, look, he looked behind. He, I mean, he looked around. Listen to what he said. I'm now ready to be offered. You know what the idea behind that is? The idea of being, being poured out. Paul said, I'm ready to be offered. It was having the idea, friend, uh, of being poured out like a drink offering was on the altar of Almighty God. And listen to this. If we live right, we can transform things in a way that the devil not, didn't think possible. You see what he mean, preacher? Here Paul was. He knew that he was facing the chop block of Nero. But you know what he decided to do? He decided by the grace of God that he had turned that executioner's block into an altar. Let me say that again. He was facing Nero's chalk block. But he decided by the grace of God that he had turned that place of execution into an altar. And instead of just seeing his life being given up, bless God, he saw himself as a sacrifice, pouring his life out as someone would take a, a cup of wine and pour it out on the burning sacrifice on the brazen altar where it was consumed uh, with steam. He decided to say, look, I may be dying, but I want to choose the way I die. Thank God. I don't know about you all. Death doesn't appeal to me. What's on the other side of it does? Who's on the other side of it does? Where the other side is? That appeals to me, but not dying. Let, let me ask you, would you really hate to have been Satan and have to deal with Paul every day? If you didn't do anything with him, you know what he'd do? He'd travel far and wide. He'd go from here to there, look for places where nobody would preach the gospel. And you know what he would do? That's what he'd do. He'd declare the gospel from city to city, proclaiming the grace of God, the gospel of the grace of God. He'd preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and say that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting. You know what he'd do? He'd spend his life winning men to Christ. And what if you'd put him in jail? Just what if you, you, you wouldn't silence him? When he'd get to the dungeon, he'd get him a light, piece of parchment, and a pen, and he'd begin to write letters to the church that would strengthen the people who profess Christ as Savior and tell them that, look, you can live in hope. He's been here once, but he's coming back again. And those men that were chained to him, those quadrants of soldiers, you know what he'd do to them? He'd win them to Christ. He'd testify them and, 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 and win them for the Lord. And if you put him on a chop block, 
get an executioner to cut his head off. All you do is release his spirit to go to heaven. Thank God. Boy, I'd like, I'd like to live in such a way when I woke up every morning the devil saw that I still alive. He'd say, oh, my Lord. Now, I don't live that way, but I'd like to. You say, what well, Paul know, preacher? Paul, Paul knew some things. Listen, friend, he knew some things. He said, time of my departure is at hand. I love that too. I, the word departure is a picture of at least three different things. It's a picture of like when an army gets done, they're ready to go home. They'll take up their tent pegs, fold down their tent, and head out. They'll march back to the house. Hey, friend, all of us, all of us, sinners, saints alike, saved, unsaved, are going to our long home. We're going somewhere. If in this life, I mean, if this life is all we had, if there were not two things behind this life, three things, Death, the judgment, and an eternity. No big deal. Live it up. Do what the Epicureans say. Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. I mean, if like the, if like the old hard shell Baptist that my wife's family came from that didn't believe that there was anything beyond the grave, if there's nothing beyond the grave, no big deal. I'm wasting my time, and you're a fool for being here. But I got news for you. The Bible said there's three things after this life. Death. And if there was just death, no big deal. That's not the worst thing that could happen to us. But here's the kicker. Behind death is judgment. Behind death is judgment. Let me tell you what we'll be judged on more than anything else. What we did with Jesus in this life. You see, that would determine what he does with us in the next life. And beyond judgment, friend, there's either a heaven to gain or eternity in hell to spend. Preachers say, well, we're all going to live somewhere. You say, I don't think that philosophy. We're all going to exist somewhere. Some of us are going to live on and on because we have life. We have eternal life in Jesus Christ. But people that are dead and die lost and go to a Christless eternity, the Bible says they're going to die. The wages of sin is death. They're going to die forever and ever, forever paying for their sin debt and never getting it paid for. I don't know about you, but I like the exclamation point better than I do the I even have a hard time writing an exclamation or a question mark. Do y'all? I know what it is, but mine looks awful. Such writing as I get older. Now look what Paul said. Let me tell you where Paul gets this from. Dad, listen. He said, to depart be the Lord is far better. He said, and that's in Philippians 1, 23. He said in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, he said, for me to uh, depart from this body is to be, to be absent from this body, is to be present with the Lord. Isn't that pretty good? He said, I knew a man in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning verse 1 or 2. I knew a man, uh, uh, whether in the body, out of the body. I know not. Jesus knows, taking up the third heaven, saw things were unlawful to utter. And after he saw that, that's when he wrote uh, Philippians. And he said in 121, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. How are you going to die? What are you going to put on the end of your life? Sir, ma'am, Paul was, Paul was looking around. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And look what he goes on to say. He says, I'm looking behind. That's where he said, he said, I'm looking behind. I fought a good fight. What kind of fight did he fight? Well, there's some question on whether Paul really meant that he was in a battle or in a race. I believe he was in both. I believe that's what the indication is, even both. And listen to what he said he fought. He wrote about it in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. 
He said, now look, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Look at verse 11 and 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you might uh, be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Hey, y'all know the devil is a liar and the father of it. I've, I've had preachers tell me the devil will never tell the truth. Oh, bless God, he'll tell you enough truth to get you to, to swallow a big lie. That's exactly what he'll do. He mixes truth with lie in order to deceive. But he doesn't stop. He said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Paul said, look, I've been looking back where I've been, and I've been fighting a, a real fight. There was an old preacher got asked one time, said, hey, he's an old man, great man. Can't remember his name. Somebody asked him, said, hey, brother, so-and-so said, have you fought a good fight? Then he studied a little bit. Old people study. Y'all know we don't do much about that. You know, sit around and meditate. What, what are you doing? I'd ask Papa Gerald. I said, what are you doing, Papa? He said, I'm just studying. Just thinking is what he was doing. He said, you know, he said, you know, he was studying a little bit. And he said, no. He said, I've not fought a good one. But he said, I sure been in one. I like that. I have fought a good fight. He said, and I've finished my course. One of these days, our race is going to be run. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a dash. It's not a hundred-yard dash, Christianity. Isn't it? It's a marathon. It's a, it's a lifetime race. We run it by looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We run it successfully by laying aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. And then we run it in a way that none of us like, patiently. How many of y'all... Favorite thing in your life is patience. Say amen. I mean, I never will forget that prayer. I love to tell it. Y'all know what I'm going to say that I read in the Farmer's Almanac about patience. A man praying for patience. Lord, give me patience. Give them to me right now. <laughs> I like that. But Paul says, look, I finished my course. What a race he had run. And you know what? Listen. He finished well. He didn't run up to the start uh, finish line. He ran through that. Hey, you know what I pray in my prayer? I have been praying, Lord, I, I, as you get older, you'll change your prayers. Everybody say amen that knows that. You'll just change your prayer. One of mine is, Lord, help me to finish well. It's one thing to start good and end bad. It's another thing to start bad and end good. I want to choose the last one if I have to, but why not have a good start and a good finish? Why don't we have both? I mean, I, I want to finish well. If I can find that statement that come from, from, from Gervis or Genevieve, Gervis. I know a Gervis. She's a, but anyway, it's Genevieve. Where in the world is it at? I remember when I, when I got that, I thought, there it is. I thought, man, Lord, that's mine. I, I liked it enough. I, I pasted it in my Bible. Mark Frost said this, life is not a journey to the grave with the intention of growing, uh, arriving in a pretty and well-preserved body, but rather to slide in broadsided, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride, I want to end that way. Hey, man, Paul said, I've finished my course. He had traveled 1,500 miles, went from Jerusalem uh, to, wanted to go to Spain, from Jerusalem to to Rome, visited 
of the region of Galatia, uh, Antioch, Syria, went to Damascus, uh, went, went across the, uh, Asia Minor. He went to places like, like uh, uh, Cilicia and uh, Illyricum, I-L-L-Y-R-I-U-M. You figure out how to, how to pronounce it. And I thought when I was writing this, this old song come back to my mind. If I walk in the pathway of duty, if I work till the close of day, I shall see the great king in his beauty. But I've walked the last mile of the way. If for Christ I proclaim the glad story, if I seek for his sheep gone astray, I'm sure he will show me his glory when I've gone the last mile of the way. When I've gone the last mile of the way, I will rest at the close of the day. I will know there are joys that await me when I've gone the last mile of the way. Paul may have penned that. I have no idea. But I want to finish well. And you know what else he said? He said, I not only uh, finished my course, but he said, I've kept the faith. It's imperative that we keep the faith. Now, Paul was talking about something specific here. He was talking about a body of truth that's deposited in his hands. It's known as the apostles' doctrine. And you know what he was to do? He was to preserve it and to pass it into the hands of other men that were capable to do the same thing that the apostle Paul was. You know what? In Paul's life there, his mind and his thinking, there was nothing greater for him to do. Question mark or exclamation point? I have kept the faith. And looking ahead, he says this, henceforth. Boy, he's summing it up, isn't it? It's kind of like a wherefore or a therefore. You've got to stop and see why it's there. Henceforth, there's laid up for me. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. I like that. I love this verse. This verse makes me believe, gives me hope that I'll have at least one crown to lay at the feet of our Savior. That's the crown that that you get because you look for, long for, coming of Jesus. How many of y'all looking for him, by the way? Say amen. How many of you would be happy if he come right now? Say amen. That'd be good. That's a pretty good statement of confidence. That's an amazing testimony. What a great statement. What, what assurance, what confidence. And that's the way you and I ought to want to live. That's the way you and I can live. That's the kind of testimony that we ought to leave behind. But look, there's a man... We find in verse 10, the Bible says, listen, it's for Demas have forsaken me. I know it doesn't say it forsaken the Lord, but let me tell you what it goes on to say. That he loved this present world, and that's a problem. And I'll prove it to you in just a minute. You see, I'm afraid there's a reason that when, when theologians of all sorts, of all state, of all intellectual levels, all of educational levels and abilities when they get to Demas. Do you know what? Nobody can put an exclamation on his point, on, on his life and say, well, we know for sure he died saved or he died lost. I hope to see Demas in heaven. I'm not here to judge him this morning. Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 14 and verse 4. Read verse 4 with me and this is what I want to give you at the top of me talking about Demas. The Bible says, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant to his own master? He standeth or falleth. Everybody got that? Say amen. I want Demas to be there. I want, a, I want the first king of Israel, as far as men go, to be there by the name of Saul. But I have, I have serious doubts whether Saul will be there. 
I mean, if you, if, you, if you look at hermeneutical ideas and if you look at the first in the order of things, Saul was a type of a man of the flesh of the world. He was a type of Cain that slew Abel. Saul, listen, I, I don't see any spiritual, I don't see any spiritual reality in, in Saul's life. He was a great man. I mean, he did a great job in, in establishing the ministration of, 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 of a, for a nation who's going to have a, a man as a king. You say, well, preacher, the Bible said Saul was turned into a new man. That's not talking about his conversion. Saul wasn't converted. Not, when you read that, that, that's not about Saul's conversion. It means God changed him, gave him a new heart to be a king and do all necessary to lead that nation as a king. You thrash it out. But here Demas was. Here Demas was, a man that we've got, we've got three accounts of him. Turn to the book of Philemon, right after the book, right before the book of Hebrews in verse 24. And look, look at how the word of God testifies about him. Paul goes as he's writing this personal letter to a friend about a man by the name of Anesiphorus, I believe it was. Was that who it was? Well, anyway. He was a slave that ran off, Onesimus. Yeah, not Onesiphorus. He said in verse 23 and 4, he said, There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. Marcus, who was John Mark, by the way, that wrote the gospel. Aristarchus, and then Demas and Lucas, the man who was the beloved physician that wrote uh, the, bu- the book of, of Luke, the gospel according to Luke. And he said, My fellow laborers, there's an S on that. It's plural. So I take it that, that Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, all of those men were fellow laborers. Epaphras was Paul's fellow prisoner. That's a pretty good testimony. How many of you all like to have your name in the Bible and it would say such and such as a fellow laborer with the Apostle Paul? Wouldn't that be pretty good resume, resume stuff? I'd like that. Man, that, that's how he started. He started good. But hey, listen to me, friend, listen. Starting good is not enough. We need to finish well. We need to finish well. And again, I'm not judging. Judging Demas. You see, this is a good testimony. It's an introduction, a good introduction to this man. But turning quickly to the book of Colossians, and I'm getting so close to being done. In the book of Colossians chapter 4, look at verse 14. Something had changed. I tried to find the order of how the epistles of Paul were written. And, and there are many ideas, different ideas. Some put Colossians before Philemon. Others Philemon before Colossians. I put Philemon before Colossians for this reason. The record that Paul, one of the reasons, the record that Paul gave him a man by the name of Demas. Look what he said here in 4 and 14. He said, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas, greet me. There's no identifying marks about about, uh, Demas here. Something had changed significant in his life, undoubtedly. Nothing is said about him in a positive way. Paul just simply lists him here. And that's good to be in any list that Paul is writing. You You know what I think about this? You know what? You know what my spirit says about this? Paul had questions about Demas. You say, how do you know that? Because of what he wrote back over in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. 
He said, For demon hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. You see, some people say, well, now look, he didn't, he didn't forsake the Lord, he forsook Paul. That's right, he left Paul in the lurch. He left Paul in the time that, that, that he needed him. But here's the kicker on poor Demas. He loved this present world and has departed unto Thessalonica. I want you to note that. That's sad, folks. That's so sad. You say, what does it mean? Well, it means that we look at Demas, or at least I do. I don't want to speak for you. I look at Demas with sadness. I look at Demas with a question mark. Did, did he do what John Mark did? Y'all remember John Mark when, uh, when they had prayed, laid hands on Paul and Barnabas, sent them out on their first missionary journey. John Mark said, hey, I'll go with you. I'll minister to you. I'll be your ministers. Y'all preach and y'all teach and, and I'll cook and I'll clean and I'll, 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 I'll iron you cloaks and all that stuff. I mean, he ministered to them. But you know what John Mark did? He turned tail and went home. If we had no record of John Mark after that, if we didn't have the record of, uh, of Paul here in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, we said, hey, Timothy, when you come, bring Mark with you. He's proper of the ministry. Did Demas turn it around? Did he get right? Did he leave Thessalonica? Did he give up the things and the love of the world? I have no idea. I hope he did. But I'm just preaching the record we got of the Word of God. Using it as an uh, as an opportunity to preach, will you end your life with an exclamation point or a question mark? I mean, Paul Demas had great opportunity. I mean, I mean, had seen things, had experienced things. But you know what the Word of God says? Sadly, turn with the Book of First John, chapter two. He loved this present world, and that's not good, folks. If we're saved and on our way to heaven, the Bible commands us, doesn't give us an option to come out from among the world, be a separated people. If you claim to be saved and you still love drinking or doing dope, participating in fornication, adultery, lying and cheating and gambling and stealing, all of those things, and we all may sin on occasion if we're saved. Everybody heard me say that, say amen. But we won't make sin a practice. It won't be our lifestyle. Even when we fall in it, we'll resist it. we fall in it, we'll regret it. We'll run repent. We'll hate ourselves for it. Everybody knows that, say amen. We've got a perfect salvation. We're just not a perfect Christian, not a perfect individual. Well, I hope I'm communicating this like I know it and see it in my heart. Listen to what Paul, or look what John said. And Paul knew this. Look in chapter 2, verse 15 and follow. Love not the world, neither the things of, that are in this world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Let me tell you all something, folks. It's about as plain as you can put it. I'm in this world, but thank God I'm not of this world. I like that song that says, This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. The treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. It took me a long time to learn that, but I've got it pretty good now. But it's true. I love a lot of things in this world. There's a lot of beauty in this, but I'll tell you what, I don't love the world. When I got saved, I give up the world. 
That's why I can't understand these churches today, these mega churches, these churches that, that, that I'm afraid are full of too much deceit. I mean, they try to make their, quote, sanctuary, unquote, just exactly like a, like a club or a concert you'd go to when you're lost in the world. I don't want that kind of stuff. I don't want it. If I did, I'd have never got saved. I wanted something new. I wanted a new start. Paul go, or John goes on to say, all that is in the world is lust of flesh, lust of the eye, the pride of life. Said it's not of the Father, but of the world. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I'm not done there. Look at verse 19. It's a great verse, by the way. People ask me all the time, what about so-and-so? They did this and they did that. Well, they even preached a while. They had a great testimony. Well, maybe they did. And I hope it was real. I'm no man's judge. Y'all heard me say that again. I am no man's judge. But I know what this book says. The Bible says, listen, folks, if we're really saved, we'll continue to the end. That's, I could show you three or four verses out of the book of Hebrew that teach us that. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until that day. I mean, it's pretty simple. And listen to what John says. This is as clear as it can be. John said, verse 18 and 19, both of them, little children, it's the last time. You've heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now there are Antichrists, which are, uh, whereby we know there's the last time. It said, now they went out from us. And he said, the reason they went out from us is because they were not of us. Because if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. And in order to prove that they were never really of us, because although they were with us and claimed to be of us, they went out that they might be made manifest that in reality, even when they were among us, they were not of us. I had a little bit of commentary in there. Let me read it just like it's written. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Can I tell y'all, y'all ever heard of a man by the name of Judas Iscariot? Do y'all know that, that, that he was the treasurer of a band of men by the name of, that, that was known as apostles? On the night of his Jesus' crucifixion, when... Judas went out to betray him. No one would have thought that he would have done that. They, put in, they had so much trust in Judas, they let him be their treasure. You, you don't put your money in the hands of somebody that you don't trust. When, when, when they went on preaching tours, when they did miracles, guess who went with them? Judas is carrying. But can I tell you all something? Judas was never saved. Everybody heard me say that, say amen. You may not like it, it's real quiet, but the fact of the matter, he wasn't. Oh, he was part of the twelve. Jesus chose him. He knew from the beginning that Judas' carrot was the devil. That's what John said. We give everybody credit for when they come to the altar. It's because of our nature, and that, that's a good thing. And we're, You know, when they say they're saved... So we give them the benefit of the doubt. We pray that they are. We try to, we try to help them do all that. But that, listen, friend, listen, one of the ways they prove they're saved is that they keep on keeping on. 
Now, I believe in the security of the believer. I believe people can fall. I believe they can mess up. I believe they can sin, still be saved. I believe people, listen, friend, when they stand before Jesus in judgment, they'll have a saved soul but a lost life. J. Vernon McGee says it this way. It's the best way I've ever heard it say it. It's why I remembered it like it. He said, there'll be some of us in heaven smell like we've been through a fire sale. Our works will be so burned up we'll have none. The only thing we'll be there with is our soul. How wonderful that is. Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world. John's pretty plain in his speech, is he not? Pretty plain in his speech. Did he come back? Did he do like John Mark? I have no idea. I hope he did. I hope I see him in heaven. Let me remind you of Romans 14 and 4. To a man's master he either standeth or falleth. Let me read you a couple more and I'm quitting. Book of Colossians chapter 3. He said in verses 1 and following chapter 3, If he then be risen with Christ, Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on this earth or on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Then shall you also appear with Him in glory. Let me close by asking you something. 